got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 3. That's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time today. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Those of you who, um, who know me know that, man, I have had so many distractions this week. There have been so many things that have, uh, that have gone wrong between um, leaks, not just one, but uh, a couple leaks uh, over at the house and uh, just some, some, uh, some conflict uh, in my life that I've had to deal with, that we've had to deal with, that the board has been dealing with. Uh, it's been a very distracting week, and it's been very, very hard for me to not only write this sermon, but to, uh, to get my heart ready for Christmas, because this is the time of year where we ask the question, are you ready for Christmas? Now, what comes to your mind when you hear those words, are you ready for Christmas? I suspect that it's a question or a phrase that causes more anxiety than joy for most people. Because the question really uh, usually means, you know, when we're using it in, in the context that we most commonly use it, it usually means something like, is all your shopping done? Okay, uh, or how about this? Maybe for you it means, uh, have you done all of your obligatory decorating? Uh, yeah, we all look forward to that. Uh, do, do you have your tree set up? Uh, have you written your annual, you know, three, three-page uh, Christmas letter and sent it out to all your friends and family? Does anybody do that anymore? Do people still do that? I didn't think so. Uh, or maybe it means, are your credit cards maxed out yet? You know, you know you're ready for Christmas when your credit cards are maxed out, right? Or maybe it means to you, are you ready to receive a lot of presents? I saw a commercial this past week uh, in which they said, get into the spirit of getting. And I almost lost it on that one, although that is really so much what our culture is all about when it comes to, uh, to this time of the year. Yes, indeed, that time of year is upon us once again when people are out shopping and spending more money than they probably should or are able to afford to. Uh, Although I don't know if you noticed or not, but some stores have actually been playing Christmas music for about the past month or so. Hmm, why do you suppose they would be doing that? Uh, I'll say this much, I doubt that it has anything to do with spreading Christmas cheer. I suspect it has more to do with the subconscious uh, influence that they want to place on their customers, you know, get us in the mood to start buying more and more because, hey, the earlier the better, right, as far as they're concerned. But one of the cultural realities that has become evident in recent years across our country is that Christmas means a lot of different things, depending on who you ask. It means different things to different people, and hence the name of our Christmas series this year, Christmas Perspectives. In the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at Christmas from the world's perspective, from the Christian's perspective, and finally from God's perspective. Today, we're going to be looking at it from John the Baptist's perspective, and in order to do that, we need to make sure that we are following some advice that he gives us to get us ready for Christmas. So for now, let it be known that when I ask, are you ready for Christmas? If I ask you, are you ready for Christmas? I'm not talking about all the stuff, all the distractions, all the things that take your eyes to those things, the things that glitter. I mean to ask if you are thinking about the spiritual aspects of the season. I mean to ask if you're thinking about things 
like the love of God for his people as revealed in the incarnation, the birth of Christ, which is, of course, the real reason that the Christmas season even exists. And in each of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're introduced to this character, John the Baptist, whose specific role in the narrative story and whose purpose in life was to prepare the way for the Lord. He was to proclaim the coming of Christ. He was to proclaim the advent of the incarnation, the coming of the one whose sandals he wasn't even worthy of tying. The eternal God through whom, by whom, and for whom all things exist, sovereignly stepping down out of eternity to take on human flesh. And as we prepare our hearts and minds for Christmas, let us start by looking at this guy who was sent by God to prepare the way of Christ's coming. And of course, this is, this is John the Baptist, and the Apostle John had something very important to say about him in his gospel narrative. In uh, John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says this. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that's Jesus, he's talking about Jesus here, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And as we go through our passage in Matthew today, we see some very practical advice for all of life, for any season of life, but this advice is perhaps a a, a very timely reminder for us as well as we enter into the Christmas season and get ourselves ready for Christmas. So we start in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We read, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this should immediately remind us of Jesus' first words as recorded uh, in Mark's gospel account. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, uh, right after John the Baptist had been arrested and his ministry had, his public ministry had come to an end, Jesus came saying in Mark chapter 1, 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So whether the words are coming from John the Baptist or you or me or, or Jesus himself, the coming of Christ demands a very specific response from all who hear and all who are preparing for his coming. Repent. Repent and believe. And while John the Baptist may have articulated with maybe a little less clarity, the message is, is the same. Repent and believe. It was the same message that the apostles preached as well as we read through the book of Acts. The reason to repent is, of course, because you believe. If you don't believe, you're not going to change anything. But repent and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand, is the call for preparing. And I honestly believe that this is where preparing for Christmas has to start as well. This is where the celebration of the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, stepping down from his throne in heaven begins right here. The first thing that we have to do to prepare our hearts for Christmas is to repent. It's the response that God demands of us when we realize that the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? It's it's Jesus and everything that Jesus represents. And repentance isn't just a, a one and done type of thing. 
for the Christian. It's something that we have to put into practice regularly, daily. It means to acknowledge that we've sinned. It means to recognize specifically what our sin is and to turn away from it and to instead turn our hearts and our minds and all of our being toward God. To boil down the, the definition of repentance to the, to the bare core, it carries the necessary implication of changing our minds regarding sin. It means that we come to view sin that we once loved, that we once ran toward, that we once cherished, as something to be hated, turned from, and avoided. And how do we know? How do we know if our minds have been changed? We know that our minds have been changed when our actions change. And I fear that far too many Christians look at repentance with as much consistency and about as much enthusiastic passion as they would an immunization shot. As if, you know, one and done. You know, you, you get it one time and you're over and done. And then you don't have to worry about it ever again. It's done. But I'm here to say that regular and consistent Repentance is a crucial aspect of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The disciple of Christ must be humble, must be lowly, must be striving to be pure at heart, mortifying the flesh, mortifying our sin, killing it, striving to walk in perfect righteousness as Christ walked in perfect righteousness. And what's going to keep us doing that? What's going to prevent us from becoming boastful and arrogant? Understanding sin from God's perspective and being broken over our sin and regularly recognizing our need to confess and repent of it, continuing to grow in our understanding of how deeply lost we would be were it not for the grace of God. If you're a child of God, this is always God's will for you to examine yourself and to repent of any sin. And as we come into the Christmas season, this is probably the best time of year to get into the practice of repentance as we are so tempted to join in with the cultural view of turning Christmas into a season of covetousness into a self-centered, materialistic holiday. Get into the spirit of getting. As A.W. Tozer once said, he said, quote, Christ came to bring peace, and we celebrate his coming by making peace impossible for six weeks of each year. He came to help the poor, and we heap gifts upon those who do not need them. End quote. We must confess that as Christians, many of us, struggle with the same temptation to make it just that. It's so hard to focus on the real reason for the season when we are so bombarded with materialistic messages from the culture and we're distracted and we're, par- we're, we're, we're tempted to participate with the culture by turning the holiday in which we celebrate the incarnation into a season that's really nothing more than a carnal and worldly circus. And if you're as tempted as most people, myself included, I I put myself in that category, if you're as tempted as most people to make the Christmas season about yourself, about stuff, about coveting, about wanting what you don't have, rather 
them about Christ. I beg you to look to the lowly manger and to see the humble birth of God in the flesh. And look to the lowly cross and see the purpose for that humble birth. And respond to this great demonstration of God's love by repenting. Now you might ask, what does repenting have to do with Christmas? I've never heard a sermon on repentance at Christmas. It has everything to do with Christmas. It has everything to do with the spiritual aspects of Christmas. It has everything to do with celebrating the coming of Christ as if he were coming tomorrow or tonight. What do you have to do before you put up the Christmas tree and all the seasonal decor? You have to make room for it. We had to move some tables around and move some stuff around in our front room. You have to make room for it. That's exactly what repentance is. It's clearing out the old, turning away from the old. It's essentially the same thing as preparing room, making room. Repentance has everything to do with preparing for the celebration of the coming of Christ. So Matthew now tells us why John the Baptist preached this message of repentance. Verse 3, Matthew writes this. He says, For this, John the Baptist, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Matthew's urging his audience to see the connection between something that had been written hundreds and hundreds of years prior, beforehand, and what John the Baptist was saying. Matthew's audience consisted almost entirely of Jews who had recently converted to Christianity. And one of the things that he does repeatedly throughout his gospel testimony is to point back to the Old Testament and show how the events which preceded and surrounded the coming of Christ were prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And he says, make his paths straight. What does that mean? What does that have to do with the coming of Christ? It's talking about making a road for him. Picking up weeds, pulling out the weeds, pulling out anything that stands in his way, not going around them. Not, not making a detour for Christ to come, but pulling out anything that stands in his way. No compromise. So I want us to see that to repent is the same as to prepare. That's what Matthew's pointing out for us. We sing, uh, let every heart prepare him room. Well, what do you think that means? It means to repent and thereby make room for the coming of Christ. In fact, the Hebrew word that gets translated as prepare is panah, which the primary meaning of that word is turn or to turn away from. So let every heart prepare him room, make his paths straight. Let every heart turn from all the distractions of the Christmas season, the things that demand our attention and inhibit or steal the attention that rightfully belongs to Christ. To prepare the way means to get everything out of his way in order that the King of kings and Lord of lords may have a road that is worthy of his presence. 
by telling us to prepare, uh, to prepare, John the Baptist is saying that the king is coming. So we must make sure that we are ready to receive him. How do we do this? We've already seen why he preached this. Now we see how we do it in the verses that follow, verses 4 to 6, Matthew chapter 3. We read, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That's the next principle I want us to look at this morning is confession. Confession is something that I I fear that far too many Christians completely misunderstand. Because when we think of confession, we think of it in terms of our own language. We think of it in terms of how we have heard it before, how we've seen it played out. You know, somebody uh, might confess to wrongdoing, as if it just means, biblically speaking, to own up to something. In the English language, the words admit and confess are basically synonymous. Uh, that is, they're, they're interchangeable. They, they essentially mean the same thing. But biblically speaking, confession means much more than just admitting that we've done something. Do we really think that we need to admit anything to God? Just, just admit it for the sake of claiming responsibility. I mean, think about it. What, what, did, what did ISIS do a couple weeks ago after the terrorist attacks in, in Paris? What did they do? They admitted it. They claimed responsibility for it. You think that's what God wants from us? We would be foolish to think that that's the type of confession that God wants from us when he tells us in his word to confess God is all-knowing. He doesn't need us to proudly take responsibility for sinning. No, instead, he wants us to be brokenhearted. He wants us to be remorseful about our sin. Ultimately, he wants us to turn from our sin, but before we do that, we have to confess it. And some may offer a prayer that goes something like this. God, forgive me if there's any sin that I'm guilty of. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not confession. Confession doesn't work like that. This is the furthest thing away, I think, that you can get from a true confession. Uh, That's even further than proudly admitting a sin, because at least when you proudly admit that you sinned, you're aware of what that sin is. Confession must involve prayerfully examining our hearts and looking for specific sins. Can you imagine how ridiculous it would be to go into a local police station and walk up to the, to the person at the desk and say, you know, I, I admit it, sir, I, I have broken the law. And just stand there and see what they say, you know. What, what do you think they're going to say, you know? You've broken the law. Okay, could you be a little bit more specific? Likewise, when we confess our sins unto God, we must be as specific as possible. It's not enough to confess sin in general. God, if I've sinned at all, please forgive me. Because you can't turn away 
from something that you're not even aware of, something that you haven't even prayerfully taken the time to notice. And as we've seen in our study of First John over the past seven months, the, the Greek word for confess really means to be in agreement with the Scripture. The Greek word is actually two words joined together that means same word. In other words, when we sin, to confess means we agree with Scripture that what we have done is a sin. We use the same word. What we have done is a sin. Scripture calls it sin. We use the same word, sin. We agree with whatever God says. That's confession. That is biblical confession. If he says it's good, we agree that it's good. If he says it's sin, we agree. No matter how much we love that sin, we agree that it's sin and something to be avoided. And this is how we prepare room in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives for the King of Kings, we confess. We agree with God's assessment in humble submission to his authority and we turn away we repent from whatever it is we're confessing and god makes this promise first john chapter 1 verse 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness now in the context of our passage here in matthew These confessions are being done right out in the open. These are public confessions right out in front of everybody. Funny how that works, isn't it? You know, I'm sure that if I were to um, ask, you know, if anybody has sinned, raise your hand. I'm sure that every hand in here would probably go up. And we're comfortable with that. You know, okay, in general, yeah, I've sinned this week. I I can't deny it. I mean, we all do it. Uh, We'd all be willing to raise our hands and admit that much. But what if we went around the room confessing exactly what sin we've done? Now that would make us a little bit more uneasy, wouldn't it? It would be pretty unsettling for most of us. And no, we're not going to do that today. So everybody can breathe a collective sigh of relief. But if, hypothetically speaking, if we were to go around and confess our sins publicly, that's something that would make us very uneasy. We're pretty comfortable just keeping our sin between us and God. I know I am, you know. It's, it's easier that way, you know. But James had this to say. James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So biblical confession is supposed to be first and foremost between the individual and God. Yes, because ultimately all sin is against God. Even when you sin against somebody else, ultimately that is against God. Just like David, when he sinned, who did he go to first? He went to God. Once he was made aware of his sin, he went to God because ultimately he realized that all sin is against God. So first and foremost, yes, biblical confession is between the individual and God. But there's also a very important place for, secondly, having someone in whom you can confide. 
If you have a spouse, it should be your spouse. If you're single, it should be your closest friends in Christ. Someone with whom you can be open and honest. Someone you can confess your sin to, even if it's a sin You know, whether it's a sin against that person or if it's a sin that's not against that person, confess to that person. Why would God want us to do that? Why would God want us to go to somebody else and confess that we're, you know, we're guilty of some sin? Why isn't it enough just to go to God? Because private sin is far, far more powerful and the likelihood of it coming back of us doing it again when we keep it private is very high. And the way to disarm the power of sin in our lives, the way to loosen its grip on our hearts is to be public about it, somewhat at least. To tell a brother or sister in Christ about it, let them pray for us. Confessing our sins to one another is scary. Believe me, I get it. But it's freeing. And it's healing. So we repent by confessing we, as we prepare ourselves, prepare our, our hearts for Christmas. Matthew continues, writing in verses 7 and 8. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Somebody needs to teach John how to be politically correct, because calling them a brood of vipers, that's not nice. Confess, repent, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Simply stated, it means to show evidence that your repentance was genuine. If you have truly repented, if you have truly changed your mind and your understanding about sin, that change will be reflected in your actions. That's all John is saying here. He's saying, prove that your repentance is legitimate. Bear fruit that says, I have repented. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming out to see John to be baptized, but they were known for being both very religious and extremely hypocritical. They were the type of people who could go through the motions on the outside without changing a single thing on the inside, which is why Jesus referred to them as whitewashed tombs. A tomb that's, that's beautiful and lovely to see on the outside, but what's inside? Death. Is there another time of year when you and I are more prone to do the same thing, the same exact thing at, than Christmas? Is there another time of year that that we're more prone than Christmas? I mean, we know that we're supposed to be joyful. We know that we're supposed to spread Christmas cheer. And yet people are stressed out because they're maxing out their credit cards. Or they're depressed because the Christmas season is a lonely time of year for them. 
Or maybe internally, they're just focused on themselves during this time of the year. And so what do we do? We, we go through the motions externally. Inside, there's something wrong. Externally, we just go through the motions. Inside, we remain fixated on the wrong things. Externally, it sure looks like we're focusing on Christ. Externally, we put on a smile, and we have at least the temptation. When something's wrong on the inside, we at least have the temptation externally to just go through the motions. Listen, if you don't have a sense of joy as you celebrate the Christmas season, the season in which we remember the coming of Christ, find a trusted brother or sister in Christ and ask them to help you figure out at least what is preventing you from experiencing the joy of the season. Ask them to pray for you. You don't have to go through the motions this year. You don't have to fake your way through the Christmas season. If you are fixated on yourself this Christmas season, confess it first to God and secondly to a trusted friend. How would we identify what might be distracting us or maybe even stealing our joy? Let's start with what might need to be confessed. Maybe you need to confess that you have end-of-the-year deadlines at work that are completely draining you, and that's your distraction. Maybe you need to confess that you just don't have it within your budget this year to buy all the stuff, to buy all the gifts for all the people that you'd like to. Maybe you need to confess that you have a fear of not getting enough stuff this Christmas. You might say, well, why would I need to confess or repent of those types of things? Those are natural. And I'd say because Christmas is about the gospel and it's about celebrating the incarnation And we must guard ourselves from making this season revolve around covetousness. Revolve around something other than the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his only son in order that the one who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. So I urge you, I urge you this week, do not give your heart to the idol of American, Western, materialism this year, all the while going through the motions externally. Align your your internal and, and, and externals. Align your heart and your actions, but not necessarily by changing your actions, but by changing your heart, making sure your heart is focused on the right things, on Christ. How do we make sure we're doing that? How do we make sure we're we're, we're changing our heart and fixing our, our focus on Christ by, by thinking about him, by focusing on him. And if we do that, what happens? We bear fruit. We give evidence of our repentance, which is evidence of our confession. That is, we, we, give, we give evidence of, of turning away from these things, of our turning away from the things which distract us from finding every reason in the world to be joyful, every reason in the world to be thankful this season because we know that Christ loves us and he was born in order to redeem for himself a chosen people. Paul's advice to the Philippians may help us to understand this principle of guarding our hearts against covetousness on a, on a deeper level. Writing to, to the Philippians while he was chained to a Roman prison guard. 
he said this. He said, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do you see in this passage what what Paul just said? Do you see the cause and effect relationship between having a heart that's filled with thanksgiving and the peace of God which passes all understanding, which guards our hearts? Do you have anything to be thankful for this year? Maybe that's a better question. The person who knows that they are in Christ always, always has a multitude of things to be thankful for. And Paul's saying that we need to keep these things in mind. The things that God has blessed us with, we need to keep these things in mind as we pray to God, letting our requests be made known in order that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts. Well, how does the peace of God guard our hearts? Well, because we know that he knows what we have, and now we've, we've made known to him what our petitions and requests are through prayer. He knows what we've requested. And because we know that he's a God for whom nothing is impossible, we don't have to covet. We, just, we, can, we can just be content. Because we know that if God wanted to give us something that we request, he certainly could. The question is, what do we have? We can be content with that because we know that he is the one who has blessed us with what we have. He's a God who provides for his children's every need. And Paul will go on to write this, verses 11 and 12, Philippians chapter 4. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Remember, he said this while he's chained to a a Roman prison guard. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What was that secret? What was Paul's secret to being content no matter what his circumstances were, no matter what he had, no matter what he didn't have? How did Paul avoid covetousness, always wanting more than he had? The secret was to focus on Christ, focusing on the fact that God is always in control and being confident that God was sovereign over every, any and every obstacle that he might face and knowing that Christ is always, always, always sufficient for all of our needs. Why is covetousness wrong? Why does God want us not to covet? Why is it a sin? It's because ultimately it's an expression of discontent with God. It's an expression of discontent with the things that he has given us. It's what happens when our hearts aren't content with him and our minds think that we might know better than God knows about what our needs are. That's why covetousness is bad. And so I, I would urge you this season to find unparalleled contentment in Christ 
Especially if you, like most people, are struggling with covetousness, with wanting more at Christmas. And so again, I ask you, are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for Christmas? And I'm not talking about this stuff. I'm not talking about all the distractions, the things that give us anxiety, the things that stress us out, or maybe even the things that are depressing. Are you ready to celebrate the real reason for the Christmas season? Are you ready to celebrate the incarnation, the willingness of Christ to humble himself by taking on flesh, being born in the lowest of lowly conditions? Because to prepare for Christmas and to celebrate Christmas properly, we we must prepare the way. We must clear out the distractions. We must repent, confess, and bear fruit. Eliminate the things which compete with Christ for the focus of our hearts and minds, which would distract us from focusing completely on him this season and throughout the year. With thanksgiving in our hearts, let us remember that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He has always provided for his children. He will continue to provide for his children. With thanksgiving, let us remember that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. We must confess, we must repent, we must bear evidence that our confession and repentance are genuine. And so I invite you to join me in doing more than just going through the motions this Christmas season. I invite you to join me in cleaning out the things in our lives that are in the way of us truly embracing and celebrating and focusing on the coming of Christ. And I invite you to join me in laying down our burdens and casting aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us bear good fruit, such as the fruit of peace and joy. Those are a couple of the major themes of Christmas, but also repentance, submission, eager obedience as we fix our hearts and minds firmly on Jesus. Let us not covet this season, but may we find unparalleled contentment in Christ our Lord. Then we'll know that we're ready for Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Christmas season. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son. We pray, Lord, that anything that might be distracting us from worshiping him, from focusing on him, Lord, that you would bring these things to our minds.
give us understanding of our need to confess these things and to repent of them. Give us understanding, Lord, to, to focus on you this season. May this be a season, Lord, in which our focus on you is strengthened. And we pray, Lord, that, uh, that we would have an attitude of humility and thanksgiving for all the things that you have blessed us with as we enter into this season. May our desire for things fade away. And may our desire for you increase. That you would be glorified in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Take me deeper.